What's up, everybody? This is Mind Your Money with Miss Be Helpful, a show that highlights people and stories that will inspire you to get your money right. And this week, I'm switching things up a little, and I'm speaking with a travel hacking coach. She's also a speaker, and she's a podcaster as well, and her platform is primarily on Instagram. It's called Geo Breeze Travel. Welcome, Julia. Hello. I am so excited to be here. I've been such a fan of this show, and it's a dream come true to be able to speak with you today. Oh, thank you for saying that. And thanks for uh, for being here. I'm, I'm really excited to jump into talking to you a little bit more about your story and the work that you're doing. Um, if you've been listening to the show, you already know I always start with two really juicy questions. But then right after the intro questions, I want to jump into you. Tell us a little bit more about your background after that. So first, I want to just start with the regrets. It's always one of the big juicy questions that people talk about. What is your biggest money regret that if you could go back in time and undo that whole thing, whether it was an experience, a purchase, a service, you would just literally delete it and do over. <laughs> what would that be? So it wasn't actually one big purchase. It was like an ongoing series of little purchases where because we travel so much, I really like going to markets in different countries, like night markets, little Asian markets all over China, Philippines and whatnot. And it always just feels so good to get some like cheap thing where you're like, oh, look, I have the Chanel purse, but it's a knockoff and I got it for $20. (laughs) And I did this over and over again. And I cannot believe how poor quality some of these things were. I'm pretty sure I bought some perfume. They just put dirty water into a pretty bottle and it smelled oh. awful. I had a bag that it got rained on and the strap just fell off because the glue melted in the rain. We've had wallets that just came apart as soon as you put credit cards in it, sunglasses that like the lenses popped off like straight off of my eyes. And like at the time, it never seems that bad because you're like, oh, these are $5 sunglasses, a $20 yes. purse. It's not bad. But if you travel a lot and you have this addiction to night markets and you just keep buying cheap things, well, and then like, oh then gosh. I have all of this broken stuff in my house. So, so true. that so true. is my biggest money regret is the addiction to markets and buying cheap things over and over again. That is such a good one because it's like, it's like death by a thousand cuts you literally don't feel like it's a big deal. You li- you literally tell yourself, oh, it was just $3, oh, it was $4.99, oh, but I got it for 10 bucks. it's not a big deal. Like, I expect it to break. Then stop, because you literally pile on those purchases and you're just throwing money down the drain. You know, I, that reminds me of one of the things that when I started traveling, like earlier on, I, I love traveling and I always used to try to bring something back to remind me of the trip. And then once I started traveling more, especially to like, you know, more expensive places and places where, you know, you want to kind of go all out, Then I was like, okay, you know what? I need to stop. I'm not bringing home something from every trip. That's stupid because I'm literally going to force myself to buy something and it's probably not going to be good quality because I'm going to be under pressure to just make sure I grab something before we leave to the next spot. And I go to so many places and I don't buy anything. And, and And I think that's fine. I don't pressure myself to try to buy trinkets because it ends up being more of a waste of money. I think you're right. Absolutely. Waste of money, waste of space. You have to carry it through the airport and everything. It's just a struggle all around. That's such a different answer, but I really like it. Um, Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about the opposite side of that question. So what was the most expensive thing that you've purchased, but you're really glad that you did buy it? Whether, again, whether it was an experience, a purchase, a service, and maybe other people think you're crazy for spending so much, but you don't regret it. It was worthwhile for you. So I got corrective eye surgery, which was really expensive because you know how they're always like, come in for a free consultation to see if you're a candidate for LASIK. I thought everybody was a candidate for LASIK. So I Googled, I'm like, okay, LASIK's like 
$2,000 or something. I got it. And then I went in and they said, your eyes are so far gone that you are not a candidate for a LASIK. If we shot enough lasers into your eyes, your corneas would collapse. So I'm like, okay, so what are my options? I'm really tired of contact lenses. So what ended up happening, I got implanted contact lenses where they drill holes into your eyeballs and then like implant a contact lens sub cornea. And it's like, that sounds so scary. (laughs) It's like eight to $10,000 for this surgery. But I love not having to wear contact lenses anymore. And as I stare out my window into Manhattan, I'm like, oh my God, my eyes work. And after like decades of being pretty much blind, it's, it's worth all the money and I saved all the receipts. So at some point I can reimburse myself with HSA money once my HSA um, gets a whole bunch of interest, but that is definitely the most worthwhile large purchase I've made. That is amazing. I feel like I, I don't value these basic things enough as much as I should, like how well I can see and how, you know, like these, these basic little things, how, how much I just take for granted. Like I do wear glasses, but it's not that bad. I only wear glasses when I'm like looking really far away, you know, looking at my computer every day, reading books, like it doesn't bother me. So I guess that makes me nearsighted, but it, it doesn't like, it's not so strong. Sometimes I feel like I can just walk around without my glasses and I'll be fine. Um, and so it's just a slight thing. It just makes me feel so grateful because you're right. Like we take these kinds of things for granted. And if you're in a situation where you're like, I could either fix this for the rest of my life and drop 10 grand now and just kind of bite the bullet or could keep dealing with these issues forever and ever. I mean, you, how much do you end up spending on contacts over the course of your life anyway? I'm sure more than $10,000 if you're buying contacts all the time, year after year after year. Absolutely. And not only that, but also because I traveled so much, wearing contact lenses on a plane or like having to wear glasses and then you're trying to sleep on a plane if it's a 12-hour flight to Asia or something, it's so worth it to just have your eyes fixed and Honestly, the scary part isn't even the money. When someone says, okay, um, we're going to drill holes into your eyes and it's going to cost $10,000. The $10,000 is not the scary part of that sentence, but it was absolutely worth it for me. That is such a good point. When you were describing the process, I was like, I'm sorry, what? Drill holes into your eyeball? What? (laughs) That is so... I've never even heard of this. Like, this is the first time I've heard of this. I thought you were going to say, like, corrective laser surgery, just like everyone else. Or the lasers go in and, like, fix your eye. You know, I say you go back in 10 years and fix it again like no no you have implanted lenses underneath okay all right i'm it's, i'm processing i'm processing <laughs> you learn new things every day that that is insane well i'm so glad it was worth it for you and i feel like definitely you have to look at it as one of those things where it's an investment in the quality of your of your life for the rest of your life and because it's you know it's a medical expense it's if you have an hsa and it's stacked oh hello those are you know usually the easiest ways to be able to utilize that money tax freedom put it towards things like that like glasses contacts dental stuff like all that kind of stuff that's not covered so that's smart if anything all right well I would love to jump into a little bit about your story yourself tell us about your work and uh you know what you do now with your brand with everything that you're working on with um geo breeze travel and you know I especially want you to kind of talk about like how you came to really build that like where did you how did you kind of just like pop into your head or it became something that you were really passionate about tell us about that sure so going way back into kind of my money history so I grew up in the very very exciting area of Blue Springs Missouri which (laughs) in the early 2000s when I was growing up there was about 93% white based off of what I found on Wikipedia today and 
I grew up there, went to high school there, and then I studied actuarial science in the University of Nebraska, which is also very white. And I was in a computer science and management honors program. And now I work full time as an actuary in my day job. So that all being said, I am fluent in white nerdy corporate speak. Yep. But on the other side of that, I am a daughter of immigrants and first generation Filipina. And I think you had Verna Anat on your I show did. as well. Early on, I did. She's awesome. She's so amazing. And I have never related to anything more than when she was describing the Filipino frugal flex, where yeah. you are constantly on this pendulum of what the correct money message is of, do you have to look fancy or do you have to save a lot of money? And you have to be bragging about things, but are you bragging about having a new Gucci purse or how much you didn't spend on that Gucci purse? And there were a lot of conflicting money messages growing up and just being someone who didn't really belong in the community you grew up in. You're like, okay, I, I don't even know how to talk about any of this to anybody. Yes. And also growing up with the frugal flex, eventually I got into travel hacking just from hearing it from different fire blogs and things. And I feel like travel hacking was the ultimate frugal flex where I was like, we can travel in luxury and stay at all of these fancy hotels for pretty much nothing. And th this is everything like the epitome of what Filipino girls are or Filipino people are just taught to do. And so we started getting into travel hacking from reading about it in different fire blogs, but I had the same reaction to it that a lot of people have, which is this sounds really scammy because it has the mm. word hacking Yep, and it has credit cards in the same yes. description. So we were trading very softly, my husband and I, we got two credit cards and then had the sign up bonus points. And we we're about to take a trip to Morocco where we had just booked a tour guide to take care of, um, our transportation, our hotels, our excursions. And then suddenly he had to cancel on us 20 hours before we boarded our plane to Morocco. Why? And, and we had just gotten our sign up bonus for our, our credit card. And so I called American Express and said, hey, I have these points. Can I get a hotel with these? And they said, yep, that's what it's for. You can have four free nights in the Casablanca Sheraton. And then once we got there, they were all like, Oh, thank you for being a loyalty member. We have given you a free upgrade. You have access to the club lounge with free breakfast and everything. And it was just an incredible experience. And from then we were hooked. And I was looking into what are ways to get even more points and miles and came across all of these articles about, well, if you open a small business, you qualify for all of the business credit cards. And I thought I had to open like a full on business. I didn't realize you could get business credit cards with just things like if you have a Poshmark store or an eBay store or something, That's they're right. much easier to get than what I thought. So I said to myself, I'm just going to open a travel agency on the side of my full time actuarial career just so I can get more points and miles, which was uh, completely over the top and not necessary. But that's how GeoBreeze. <laughs> yeah, that's how GeoBreeze Travel was born. It started off as a travel agency. I did not like booking a travel agent type of travel for people because one, all of the portals that I had access to were just not that good. The deals were not that good. And most of the time I just told people, okay, here's how to actually get this trip just for free with a couple of credit cards, sign up bonus right. points. Right. And then the pandemic hit and then I just didn't need to do any travel agent work at all anymore because nobody was going to travel. So then I pivoted at that point and talked more about, hey, is it still worth 
learning about how to use points and miles right now, given that we can't travel? And the answer is yes, it's a really good time to just start learning about how to bank right. up all of these points and miles so that eventually when the world does open up again, you have all of this stuff saved and you do not have to just pay money because I'm pretty sure that a lot of the airlines are just going to price gouge us when the world opens back up because oh, yeah. they need they need to recoup that money. But if you have points and miles saved up, you can save yourself a whole bunch of money on vacation. Oh my gosh, brilliant. That is brilliant. And I think like people listening, if you have never done travel hacking, if it sounds intimidating, like I promise like th that's why like this point, Julia, that you made is so true of like taking this time now and literally just like, Thank the universe that you have this time because you're not actually traveling so you can just learn, literally just learn. Just start following people like Julia. Just start going online and reading blogs. Just start literally watching videos about how people do this. There's so many YouTubers out there. There's so many channels and blogs and all kinds of resources. Like if you're just learning about it now, when things open up again and you've already prepared yourself with, you know, some miles and points, like then you don't have to start. You, you can just go. Like it's like instead of having to prepare you can literally just start traveling while everyone else is like trying to prepare and like trying to save because they haven't been. It's just getting a head start is so smart. And I, I definitely like, I want to know more about just like the travel hacking process because I know that there's people that are so deep into this where I, they have like spreadsheets, like multiple spreadsheets and all the different credit cards are in different, you know, sections of the spreadsheet with all the different points, the miles and what they have to do and how many, how much they have to spend by when and all. And I, in that sense, that does stress me out a little bit. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm the kind of person I have like two cards that I mostly travel hack with. And it's just my JetBlue card and my Capital One rewards. Like those are the two where I get, all my travel benefits and my boyfriend has to chase, chase Sapphire. So that helps us a bit too. But I, for me personally, I just keep it simple and wherever I'm loyal to, I fly JetBlue a lot. And I like, you know, so I got the JetBlue card. Like I try to keep it the very simple way of travel hacking. So I want to know like, what level are you? Are you like, are you guys in it, in it? Or you have that, those spreadsheets set up or is it like, okay, is it not that deep? You can do it in a simpler way. Like this is how. Me personally, I am in it, in it. And I am past the spreadsheets where one of the things that I tell people is do not have spreadsheets because you know that you've really leveled up when you realize there are apps that people have already coded where you don't even have to use these spreadsheets. Some of my favorites, if you don't know what card to use and you're like, I have 17 cards now and I never remember which one to use for restaurants or anything, right. there's a free app called Card Pointers. You just tell it what cards you already have. You don't even have to give it any of your personal financial information. Wow. And the app will just say like, what are you buying today? Here's the card that you want to use. So you get the most points. Oh, There's another app called Award Wallet and it just tracks how many points you have in each of your accounts. So you don't have to like log into 15 things each time. And so we are in it enough to where I am past spreadsheet mode. And I'm like, all right, I, yeah. I have curated tools to make my travel hacking life so much easier. We have 17 cards. We, we don't travel much anymore, obviously, but where you going, girl? Where you going? You ain't going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, but we we normally would take four international trips each year. Normally yeah. would get a lot of it for free, just through points and miles. But nowadays, what I like to do is just hear how other people are doing their travel hacking. So I host a podcast where we feature the stories of travel hackers that you normally wouldn't see in these blogs because whenever somebody Googles oh, travel hacking blogs or points and miles blogs, you come across like the same 12 over and over again. Yep, yep. And they're all like the same guys. 
And there are so few women and almost no people of color talking about how to travel for free using points and miles, which is weird because of like the frugal flex thing that I was talking about before, where I'm like, isn't this just like what first generation immigrant families do is like, how do I stack all of the offers to get free flights and like stay in free hotels? Not to mention there's so many people in like the immigrant communities who are like, I would just really like to visit my mom in Puerto Rico. That's really all. I would just really like to do that, but I can't come up with the $600. And so guess I'm not going to see my mom, which is just sad because a lot of the blogs focus so much on the sexy headlines, like here's how to get free flights on Q suites over to Qatar, or here's how to get the Singapore suites over to Singapore. And so much of the content is on like that big luxury, like high end purchases and it has some negative repercussions on like just the people who read those blogs. First of all, if you see zero people who look like you in this space, you're like, oh, well, travel hacking is for just business people or like maybe like a suburban family every once in a while. But nomadic white guys who work in tech, like tech nomad type dudes. Right. Absolutely. So that that's one of those. And then another one is people who have like one or two credit cards where they're saving hundreds of dollars, maybe not thousands each trip, but still hundreds of dollars are thinking to themselves, I'm bad at this and I shouldn't try to go further with my travel hacking. And I really want to showcase stories that say that's not true at all. Like no matter how you want to live your travel hacking lifestyle, if you like those Emirates first class flights, okay, do that. But also if you would rather just sustain economy flights for a family of four forever, that's a perfectly legitimate use of travel points too. And so one of the things that have come out of the travel podcast, the travel, the GeoBreeze travel podcast is featuring stories of how people use points and miles in ways that you wouldn't normally think of. We have one guy who um, basically just books speculative flights out of Florida for his family whenever hurricane season is coming in because you can't really put a price on just getting your family out of a hurricane. We have another woman who used points and miles to go adopt her son from the Philippines. So all of these interesting stories that you would normally not find on the big points and miles blog. So that's kind of of the projects that I'm working on these days with the podcast and featuring people on my Instagram because it's so hard to find people of just different backgrounds and different stories and points and miles for whatever reason. I know it's been that way in the financial independence movement, just with general, um, any digital content on money media. And it's, it's even more so that way with points and miles. And it's been such a competitive space for so Mm -hmm. long Mm -hmm. where none of the blogs even reference each other because of the fear of losing affiliate link signups, which is how right. most of these blogs make money. And actually in March or April, when all of this pandemic hit, the big banks like Chase and Amex had shut down affiliate links for a while and all the bloggers panicked because that was just their lifeblood. That's just how they're making right. money. And so when they did that, there was this whole, maybe we should collaborate a little bit more and not depend mm. so much on being so competitive and like never being like, oh, I'm just not going to even acknowledge that other blog exists. Exactly. So yeah, I'm trying to make the world of points of mass a lot more collaborative, a lot more inclusive for people who normally are just so underrepresented in this yeah. space. 
I love that. I think it's important for two reasons. One, obviously, anything being inclusive is going to be is going to make it better, but also because I I find that like usually with these spaces related to money or any honestly even outside of money like food blogs or like you know tech work or anything that is like on the internet that has like a really big following, generally speaking, you have to have been very tech savvy for a long time to be one of the first ones in the game who like really took off early, especially if you're running a blog, because back when blogging was like the thing to do, it's just like podcasting. Like at first it starts and then like nobody's really doing it. And so the people who started off are like the ones that really grow. And then everybody starts blogging or everybody starts, you know, podcasting, right? It becomes harder for you to find the content because it's just, there's so much more competition. But I find that those early adapters, those early two spaces folks tend to be older, tend to be uh, white dudes that have access to capital specifically within tech. So not even access to capital in terms of money, but specifically like human capital connections that like are involved with tech, involved with computer literacy, involved with technological, like, you know, um, platforms that most other communities are maybe just not akin to yet maybe just maybe haven't caught up maybe haven't had access yet and so because of that it's so interesting because you could go across any category any space on the internet any niche and you would really find that the trend is that the larger ones tend to be run by white males so it's so interesting it's like you bring up this point you're like how do we take this niche thing that has been really um i guess kind of uh, monopolized by white males, which is, again, not unique to travel hacking at all, but this this phenomenon, and then really make it accessible and representative of people that are doing this that are underrepresented or bring it to communities that, like, it, literally it never even occurred to them, but it would be perfect for them. And that is, that's really what I love about it. It's ingenious. It's like, there's literally people who probably think that they can't do it that are missing out on thousands of dollars of savings because they're traveling back home anyway or because they could travel back home but they're not since they think that they can't afford it or they can't swing you know the, the money for the flight etc the other thing that i was thinking of that i want to say and then i'll shut up because i could go on and on forever is that when you are an immigrant you usually what happens when i go back to dominican i, I don't know if it's similar if when you've been back to the philippines to, if it's a similar thing but when i go back I'm not staying in a dang resort. I'm going to visit my cousins. I'm going to see my tias and my tios who live in the mountains, who live in the countryside. They, like, are Dominican, Dominican. They're not, you know, Dominican-American. So when I'm there, I'm staying with family. I'm staying with, you know, my aunts and uncles and my mom and my dad's families. And so it's really interesting to think that all I really need is my travel. All I really need is that round trip flight because my stay there is pretty much going to be, you know, settled between the family and the family friends. I'm going to stay somewhere. So I really just need to figure out how to get these miles to be traveling constantly. And then if anything goes wrong for me to be able to stay at a hotel if I need to. But that's, that's what makes it even more of an opportunity because you, most of us have places to stay and we really just need to be able to figure out the travel and the flight. That's such a good point too. And one of the things that I keep telling people is be very specific on what kind of travel hacking you want and you need, because if all you need is flights, all of that overwhelming information about, oh, here's all your different hotel programs and here's all the different cards that get you free nights at hotels and upgrades at hotels and this different status and you can status match. You can just ignore that entire 
piece of information for now. And it, it helps you to get where you want to go so much faster and so much more effectively if you can focus that way and instead say, I need free flights. And here's the airlines that fly from my home airport to the Dominican. And here's how many points I would need to get a free flight. And here's the cards that I need. That's like four steps instead of, okay, here are 30 cards. Let me read through the specs on all of them. It just, it feels really overwhelming. So being specific on what you want really, really helps that process. Yeah, brilliant. I I mean, that makes so much sense. And I think the more, the more specific you get, the more resources you're going to be able to find because you're not doing some general Google search. You have these very specific keywords that you're searching for, and it's going to take you exactly to where you need to be. Um, Okay. So tell us about like starting this whole like I guess started as a travel agency and then later became more of a platform, but you have over 5,500 followers on Instagram, which is amazing for you to grow so quickly when it sounds like this was something that kind of you started just to be able to kind of do it yourself. But then like you decided, no, this is a platform that is more than me and my husband getting some free trips. It's really like this community that needs to access this information. How did you make that shift? Because it sounds like it started as just you, but now you're like really adamant about making this inclusive and reaching underrepresented folks. Like that's a big commitment because most people like to keep their stuff on the down low, like keep private about their stuff. And so what convinced you to really make that leap and make it public? Yeah, so I was looking into, okay, if I wanted to be a well-known voice in travel hacking so that people would be able to find me and say, oh, there are people who look like me, or at least not a white man in this yeah. space, what like what would it take for me to get that much exposure? And it takes a lot of blog writing, a lot of SEO work. It takes so much. And, and it takes a lot of research, too, for me to be able to pump out content that quickly. A lot of these big blogs have staffs that... I definitely don't have a staff. I have, this is my side gig and I have a full-time actuarial career. So instead I thought, what if I can just pull the stories from the community because everybody has these stories that aren't being told. And what if I tell those stories and instead use the platform to elevate all of this other content that people just don't have access to? Because a lot of people who want to have like guest posts on their blog or like people on their podcast, they're like, oh, well, we can't really represent you unless you have 10,000 followers or more so that we can like get the audience and the podcast even more. And I'm like, gross, gross. We have, we have featured people (laughs) who have like 200 followers, 500 followers on Instagram. Like you have good content and like you spent more of your efforts getting points and miles than growing an Instagram following. And it still adds so much value. Like we have, he's, his name is Juan Escobar. He recently took like a, I don't even know how much this thing cost. It was probably $20,000 saved going to the Maldives to propose to his now fiance and yeah. grew up in Chicago. He was telling me about how growing up his road trips with his family were like 36 hour road trips back and forth to Mexico. Oh. And like that was vacation each year. And then oh, now yeah. he's able to like teach his family how to do all of this. And he gets all of his points and miles because he buys distressed houses in Chicago. And then puts all of the credit card spend through Home Depot to fix them up. And like that pays for vacations every year. So these types of like ingenious strategies, I'm like, no one is talking about this on the internet and it needs to be more widely accessible to people. So it's kind of how the platform got built up was first of all, me just saying, I don't have time to research all of this on my own. Maybe I can tap into everybody else who doesn't have time to get their stories heard. And just by doing that, it's, it's almost like a wildfire effect where people are like, Hey, who are like, are there Latina travel hackers? They're very hard to find. I was actually 
one of the speakers at FinCon this past time, and we had those breakout sessions. And I went to the BIPOC one and said, hey, are there any Latina travel hackers in the house? I would really love to interview you for my podcast. And it was so funny because somebody was like, wow, you're like the only Latina travel hacker we've ever met. I'm like, joke's on you, dude. I'm not even Latina. Oh, no. Crickets, crickets. Yeah. So. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, we are definitely trying to serve more of these underrepresented communities, bring travel hacking to people who maybe never even thought that this was possible so that we don't have to have weird, awkward crickets like that again. Yes. So sad. And that's the thing. It's like, it's because there is no recognition in the industry like and that's the sad thing is that it's almost like a catch-22 it's like the chicken or the egg like you literally don't know what's supposed to happen first and how you're supposed to get there for a brand that has let's say 250 300 400 followers and has quality content it like it's going to grow but hey you know growth takes time it takes a lot of posting a lot of content creation some time sometimes you get lucky and the algorithm just strikes and just like take you take off but oftentimes that's not the case you're gonna have to build over time and so how are you supposed to allow these really small um, you know, because they're out there, but again, if they're not being recognized because they don't have enough followers, because they don't have enough of a large platform, and that, you know, that is so frustrating. I find personally that, like, if all you care about is the money, then you end up sacrificing so much on the quality of the content that you could be creating and also the people's lives that you could be impacting because all you care about is how many new eyes are going to come click, how many new followers you're going to get based on this collab. Like, that is so frustrating to me. And I feel like this this platform, but also so many other platforms, I want to make sure like there's really space and time to devote to people that may not have 10,000 followers. What the hell does it matter how many followers I have? If you've seen what I'm creating and it's legit, like support the work. Like that is really what it's about. And it's so interesting that you found this niche community where you're like, I really love this. I think people need it, but, but it's not inclusive and it's not community-based and it's not like us it's all me versus you and then instead of being like oh you know what i hate that about it i'm just gonna go and do something else you're like no 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 i'm gonna disrupt this space and i'm going to make it collaborative i'm gonna make it community-based whether the industry likes it or not i'm gonna be that and and honestly like i admire that so much because that's hard to do it's hard to do especially when the industry is such a big one and has so many players that have been in the game for so long So hats off to you, girl. That is freaking phenomenal. Thank you. One of the things that a lot of points of mouth bloggers are always afraid of too is like, oh, somebody's going to grab this headline before I do. Like somebody's going to talk about this airline merger. And I'm just like, hey, if any of you want to like steal my content ideas and if you want to launch an article on top 10 Latina travel hackers you need to be following before I get to it, like go for it. And they're in this trapped space where they're like, we can't even steal her ideas because it's so orthogonal to everything we've ever built up. And so it, it's almost just like a safe haven of content creation where I have something very different than what's been in the industry, which is also very exciting. That is exciting. And that's a beautiful thing because it means that you have a unique perspective, a unique story. Everything that you're bringing hasn't been brought. And that's what I mean, obviously, you have like over 5,500 followers so quickly. It's it's what makes you thrive in a space that is dead and needs some life. Like, let's be real. <laughs> let's be real. It needs to be brought back to life. Um, you know, but, you know, the other thing, too, is that I feel like oftentimes what happens is that you have communities that literally, like, if you don't bring this up, how else are they supposed to find it? Like, nobody's talking about this stuff 
to my mom who doesn't even have a credit card. And like, you know, it, like it's, it's such a totally different way of thinking and a different way of operating that if it is not very thoughtfully and specifically prepared and presented to that community for that community and preferably by someone from that community, then it's not going to be, um, you know, uh, received. And so, I, I mean, I almost think like every industry needs to have somebody being really thoughtful in this way, like how you've done and saying like, okay, well, how are we going to make sure that it's reaching people that could really benefit from it that aren't getting it because maybe they're, you know, they're not whatever the mainstream industry is looking to represent or is looking to reach out to. So it's really not just about travel hacking. It's so much more. But I think just the way that you've created this is just so impactful. So anyway, again, I could just keep going, but I just love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cool. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about just kind of like the specifics of your maybe upbringing. Like what was it then that kind of made you feel like, okay, money and being able to like spend money, even if it's for travel or for something else, is something that like people have to talk about more because I mean, I know with the brand, it was a specific purpose for talking more about it, but I just feel like usually anything related to like, like saying out loud to people that you have 17 credit cards must make some people think that you are absolutely crazy because like a lot of people don't just don't talk about that stuff. So, and I usually, I find that having the courage to be able to say, yep, I have 17 credit cards and you know, it comes from something maybe from your upbringing and even if you may or may not be aware of it. Uh, so yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you've already mentioned it a little bit, but go a little bit deeper. Yeah, that is a really good question. And I think a lot of this brand has just come out of the fact that I'm lonely a lot because growing up in Blue Springs, Missouri as like an Asian math nerd, outspoken, like you're not going to make a lot of friends. That's not how you get homecoming dates when you're 16, if that's what, <laughs> what you're you into. <laughs> and when people are like, so like, what do you want to do this weekend? I'm like, I think I'm going to research more about how to be an actuary. When I was 17, I went to actuary camp. Like I, what? I, I went to actuary camp. camp a thing. That's a thing. That is a it, thing, it, people. Actuary camp. It's a thing. And yeah, so I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, obviously. And then I was like, okay, well, like I'm going to find my people at college when I go to like this, like actuarial program and computer science. And then it was like 70% guys. I'm like, Still haven't found my people. I'm going to find hobbies where like, I'm going to make friends who are talking about the same thing. And then eventually I was like, okay, what, what like interests people in the world and that also interests me. So I'm not just trying to fit into a world I don't belong in. And people were like, oh, I really love traveling. I'm like, I like traveling too. Did you know you can like mathematically hack it with 17 credit cards? And then again, people just keep giving me this look like, why are you crazy? And I'm like, there have to be like, maybe 30 other crazy people in this world who like to talk about this too. And maybe like a couple of them look like me and we can also, you know, go out for dim sum brunch or something while talking about credit cards. Like there's gotta be like five. And so I think a lot of this just stems from like the childhood of it is really taboo to talk about money or like numbers or credit cards or anything. Mm -hmm. And so if you have the interest to talk about personal finance and you look around and you're like, this is a really lonely interest and nobody wants to talk about this with me. Just building that community is so helpful too. That's also, so I host monthly meetups for the podcast community for the listeners and the featured guests. I'll just trade different travel hacking tips and people are like, I've just, all of my friends, whenever I, I'm ever like, hey, you guys want to like travel hack a, a trip to Miami, we can all get these free flights and hotels. All you need to use is my referral link. And then here's how credit cards work. And then their friends are like, 
I would rather pay $600 to not have this conversation right now. And it's, it's so weird to people who are really into the travel hacking game. So yeah, yeah, just going way back deeper. A lot of this just came out from the fact that I'm, I grew up lonely as a lonely math nerd without anybody to talk to because we don't talk about money enough in just normal everyday society. That's true. We don't, we really don't. And it's so funny because, I mean, growing up, I got to say, I was a math nerd myself and I had a lot of friends that were math nerds, but it never occurred to me that I could be an actuary. Like, how did that, like, did you discover that type of, like, did you just research like math careers and you found out like, oh, an actuary is a thing? Like, if I just take a bunch of math tests, I could do this? And like, and if so, like... I just feel like, and then also just like actuary camp, like just like, did you express those interests and then like your family helped you to, to, to pursue them? Or was this something where you were just like, I'm going all in because I want to be an actuary and I'm just going to kind of prepare this whole path for myself. Yeah. So this is a funny story. Um, in eighth grade, they make you take the career assessment test and it tells you like what classes you should take in high school. And so at age 14, uh, like the first thing alphabetically was actuary. And I'm like, cool, I'll do that. Because I, I, I just didn't want to read any further. I'm like, I'll do that. And like on a whim, I was like, that sounds like what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then I just started researching and I'm like, this actually sounds really good. You can make a lot of money doing this. And so I, I was like, okay, what are some of the best actuarial schools that are also affordable? Because I was trying to figure out like, okay, where can I get scholarships so I can get as yeah. much of my college paid for and graduate without loans as possible? And so then I was looking at college applications and they were like, how, how do you spend your summers was one of the essay questions. And I was like, oh, I, I spend mine by the pool and watching TV. And I guess I should probably have something better to write on my essay than that. So luckily I found this when I was like 15 or 16. And I was like, hey, mom and dad, I need to do something uh, with my summer, my, my summer before senior year that's going to look impressive on college applications. And when you're like a Filipino 16 year old, you can just tack on the phrase because of college applications to the end of things and like that will justify it to your parents they'll be like oh it's gonna help with college apps okay great how much money do you need (laughs) and actuary camp i don't know if they still do this it was at illinois state university and it was free like you you just apply and if you're accepted as one of the 20 then you get to go to camp for free and i had never been to summer camp so i was like i'm gonna go to summer camp yeah and and you do summer camp things but with an actuary twist so this is also even more ridiculous part of the story so one day we went bowling and then we recorded data on how many strikes the other team got and then the next day you had to prepare a forecast of like a predictive model of how many strikes they were going to get on day two based off of one day of data and then we would like go bowling again and compare the actual versus expected it this is like the nerdiest thing ever and i thought like once i applied for actuarial positions and was like interviewing in companies. I'm like, this story is going to be great. And even the full-time actuaries who were interviewing me were like, you're a weird one. Yes. I'm saying you're so deep in even people who like are actuaries are going to be like, wow, since you were 15, you were doing this. Like that is, that's different, but that's beautiful. Like I, it's so rare to find somebody who's like, oh, I, I found something, it sounded about right, and now I'm actually doing that, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later. Like, what? That's so rare. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, I don't talk too much about my, like, career path and everything on the internet because I'm like, literally nobody is going to relate to this. But it's a very eccentric story for podcast episodes like this where they're like, so you took a career assessment at 14, picked the first thing alphabetically, decided to run with it. 
It's hilarious. And it worked out. And it worked out for you. That oh, yeah. If anybody out there is interested in like, what is an actuary? I want to learn more about this very lucrative career. Reach out to me uh, via Instagram or anything else. I will send you many, many resources and actuarial, actuarial departments across all all different companies are always recruiting because there's a lot of exams involved with becoming an actuary and it's like high barriers to entry, which is why it pays so much. And it, it really makes meeting your financial goals a lot easier with such a high paying career. Absolutely. If you are a math person and you're like, oh yeah, I think I could just like take a bunch of tests for a living. Then yeah. I mean, I literally, I remember one of my good friends was really, really interested in being an actuary. And she was looking for a program for it when we were applying to college. And I just remember being like, I don't know what an actuary is. Like, what do you do? And then I just like started looking it up on Google. And I just kept seeing how you just have to keep taking all these tests. It's just like series of exam after exam after exam. I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't think I want to do that. Like, you're just taking tests all the time. It's so that's stressful. I don't know if I would be able to do it. <laughs> oh, my God. There were so many exams. I took eight and now there's 10 because they decided it wasn't hard enough. We need to add even more tests to this. And so... <laughs> It's one of those weird phenomenons because unlike being a doctor or a lawyer where you go to like grad school and residency and everything before you're allowed to practice, you get a full-time job as an actuary and you have the starting pay while the company is generally paying for you to finish up your exams. And so you're already making money rather than paying money to get this kind of certification. And also because the exams take so much time of your life, you literally don't have time to go out and spend money on shopping or getting drinks or anything. So it's super lonely. But then one day I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm done with exams. And I got a fat bank account. <laughs> yeah, I got I got a lot of money now because I did not know how to spend it. And I did not have time to spend it. All of my just, um, yeah, automatic direct deposits. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I guess I'm going to keep studying. And then one day you're done and you're like, nice. What's this fire movement all about? I'm, I'm pretty much there. You know what? Every, every career field should be like that. Like, why is it medical school, dental school, law school structured that way where you, you can start practicing and finishing school while you're doing it? Because that's literally what you're doing when you're doing your residency. And it's just so stupid that you're not being compensated the way you should be. Because at that point, you're literally like doing the doctor's work most of the time. And it's just so sad. It's so sad. So it's interesting that you describe the industry that way because I didn't know that as an actuary, you literally start working while they're finishing, while you're, they're paying for you to finish school. That is incredible. Like that just gives you such a leg up that so many other similar and comparable in terms of salary, comparable industries um, and career fields would not do that. They wouldn't set you up that way. I don't have a master's degree or graduate degree. I have a bachelor's degree and actuarial exams and you're good to go from that whereas if you wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer you're gonna make a lot more than an actuary but it takes a lot more schooling or if you want to even be a cpa sometimes you have to go get a master's in accounting where um i I feel like that's probably the most comparable salary wise is like Mm -hmm. the cpa versus credentialed actuary and with actuarial science you can just go um right after getting a bachelor's degree keep taking exams while you're starting analyst work and then one day you're credentialed and good to go. That's awesome. And it's not like you can, it's not like you can limit yourself when you, when you're doing actuarial work, you can actually work in so many different industries. Like it's an industry itself, but it's really not. It's, it's like a sub industry because you can be, you can be an actuary within banking and finance, within like insurance, within investing, hedge funds or life insurance, um, you know, pensions, actuaries are the ones that decided the ages and the things for pensions. Like 
um, just so many things. Consultancy, obviously, you could do a consultant with any kind of, uh, you know, uh, license degree, exam, certificate, whatever. But it just opens a lot of doors for you. So you don't like it's interesting to think like not only do you get the leg up in terms of like getting paid early and starting to work, but also the fact that if you decided you want to not work in insurance anymore and decide you want to work in something else, like you could because being an actuary allows you to have the flexibility to be able to work in a lot of different spaces. Absolutely. And people are like, oh, you're just like, then you have to stare at a math or spreadsheet all day, every day, and you never talk to people. That's absolutely not what every actuarial career is like. I do more project management work. So I talk with lots of different departments and it, it's a lot more getting to talk with people than spreadsheets, if that's what you're into. Or if you're more of, I would rather do more of the coding side and the spreadsheet side, you can do that too. There's, there's a lot of different options in there. Yeah, there's something for every personality type. You just got to go after what it is that interests you. Uh, oh, man, I love this. I learned so much talking to you today. Jeez, from, like, having implanted contact lenses under your eyeballs to, like, actuarial. Like, I'm, like, I'm learning today. I love this conversation. Oh, man, I could literally go on and on forever. But l let's go ahead and wrap up so we don't make people go crazy learning about actuarial science <laughs> degrees. Um, but, okay, so the way I wrap up the show is by having you share something that I'm going to go ahead and put on a, a physical dollar bill and I'm going to put it on Instagram, tag you, you share it, I'll share it. And what it is is really just trying to take this idea of like every time you transact with money, what is this money model or money message or money mantra that you want people to kind of have instilled in them every time they're going to go transact that it's a reminder, it's like a gentle reminder of this is a value or this is super a core part of what's important to, to your personal finances. So what would that money mantra be for you? My mantra would be ask bigger questions because I see so many like financial graphics that are like skip more lattes and stop eating avocados. And I'm like, or, you know, like ask questions about how do you improve your tax situation or should you move to a place with like either lower taxes or better rent or like how can you take advantage of employee or employer offerings like 401ks or something like that. Yes. So ask bigger questions. Even with travel hacking too, people are like, should I use this card that gets three points per dollar or this point one that uses four points per dollar, but I don't use it as much. I'm like, why don't you instead ask yourself something like, how do I status match from one card and get status at multiple hotels mm -hmm. or which sign up bonus strategy is going to work best? Should I focus on chase cards or Amex cards? And so those big questions are the ones that I help my clients with as a travel hacking coach, because anybody can just Google like, Oh, what car, like, what does this car do for me? Whereas oh. if somebody's like, here's really what I want out of life. And I don't have time to read 400 blog posts about it. Can you just give me the answer of what yes. I need to do and tell me why? That is what I do as a travel hacking coach. That's amazing. Well, I am definitely going to be checking out your podcast because I haven't heard it yet. And I just you describing it makes me so interested to hear some of these incredible stories. If you're not following Geo Breeze Travel on Instagram, you got to go follow and definitely support this work. I mean, it is incredible what you're doing. Obviously, people hearing the episode are going to hear your passion and your like just authenticity. So hopefully that allows them to recognize it and also just be able to kind of come and connect with you because I think what you're doing is amazing. And I love that message of go bigger, go bigger. Like you're asking these questions, but man, you got to think bigger, ask bigger questions because you, by the questions that you're asking essentially puts you in a certain level. And by limiting yourself to these lower level questions, you're never going to really go bigger. So think bigger, ask bigger questions. I really love that. I think it applies to money and so much more as well. So 
It was such a great uh, conversation. I'm so glad I had you here today. And thank you so much, Julia, just for making time to be able to connect and share your story. Thank you so much for having me. And if anybody is like, I really want to take the next step, like how do I learn more about travel hacking? I offer free calls if you just want to be like, where do I even get started? And we have monthly meetups every month. We would love to have you. Some people are often intimidated because they're like, I have nothing to contribute. You can just sit in and listen. Yeah. And then just like type the questions into a box, have 15 expert travel hackers answer your questions right on the spot. And it will save you so much time. Go connect with other people in the community. Love that. That's amazing. Hope you guys really take advantage of it. Thank you, Julia. Have an amazing rest of your week. Thank you so much.